with our sermon series on the full armor of God or spiritual warfare. Let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. We're just going to use a portion of that, but let's just read Ephesians 6, 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. Over the past few weeks, we have been looking at this sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians, and as we did that, we have seen that the armor of God, what is described in these few verses, the armor of God, is a necessary tool for a spiritual battle. And it's a battle that each of us as believers are fighting against our enemy, the devil. We have seen that without every piece of armor in place, we are an easy target for the enemy, the devil. Let's go over a couple reminders of what this armor is and why we wear it. First of all, the armor of God is not something we constructed and took to God, and then he looked at it and said, eh, that looks okay. No, it's an armor that has been constructed by God for us. That's a big difference. Secondly, it is us who must willingly put on the armor. God will not force us to put it on. He makes it available, and then we choose to put on that armor. Number three, we must realize that the devil doesn't fight fairly. He will use whatever means at his disposal that are at his disposal to destroy us. And I I don't make this next statement to give praise to the devil, but rather as a warning, and that's this. The devil is very good at what he does. So don't, don't underestimate his abilities or the links that he will go to destroy us. So with that in mind, know for sure that when any piece of armor is missing, the devil will use his time-tested schemes. He's been around for a long time. And he will use those things to damage our testimonies, to destroy our lives, destroy our families, and often even infiltrate and devastate our churches. But, and there's that word that's important, when we as children of God are wearing the full armor of God, not just the parts we like, but the full armor, the enemy cannot defeat us. The victory's already been won. Jesus won the victory, but we still have battles to face. But when we have on the full armor of God, we, he cannot defeat us. The Bible tells us that the one who lives in us is greater than the one that lives in the world. That's the devil. And when the full or whole armor of God is in place, The devil cannot penetrate our defenses, and as a result, we will stand victorious against his attacks. The first piece of armor, and we went over this last week, mentioned in verse 14, is the belt of truth. And as Christians, this this truth refers to a life of total commitment to the Lord, a life that, that it lives in the truth of God's Word. It speaks of truth in our testimony, truth in our living. And the only way that we can fight error is with truth. As as we looked at the belt of truth, we saw that not only is it important in its own right, it is also important because without it in place, many of the other pieces of armor can become useless. So that brings us up to date. So today I want us to look at the breastplate of righteousness. For a first century Roman soldier, the breastplate was a sleeveless piece of armor 
that covered his torso. There is no Roman soldier who would go into battle without a breastplate in place. And there were several different types of breastplates that were used throughout the centuries. Some of them were made by starting with heavy pieces of leather. And then this leather was shaped to fit the upper body. And then it was covered with overlapping pieces of metal or slices of animal hooves or horns like the ones in this picture. Another kind of breastplate, and probably the one that I would have preferred, since I'm pretty sure I'm allergic to spears and arrows, especially the kind that are on fire, this breastplate was made out of a large piece of metal that was hammered to fit the body, kind of a custom-made version. And this breastplate would look more like these. And it makes you look like Batman. Regardless of the kind of breastplate the soldier wore, the intent was the same. The breastplate was designed to protect the heart and other vital organs in the torso. A wound to that part of the body would not only be very painful, but in the age before antibiotics and advanced surgery techniques, it would probably be fatal. So this breastplate that every soldier wore was that important. If soldiers in the first century Roman army depended on a breastplate to protect them against injury and death when they went into battle against mere men, why would we think that we could do any less as we go into battle against a much more powerful enemy, the devil? What was necessary for a Roman soldier in Paul's day in a physical battle is also necessary for Christians involved in spiritual battles, and that would be all of us. None of us are exempt. The breastplate that Paul is writing about here in Ephesians is obviously not a physical piece of armor that we wear. Instead, the breastplate that we as Christians wear into spiritual battle is what Paul described as righteousness. And more specifically, the righteousness of God. One dictionary definition of righteousness is the state of being and acting in accordance with divine or moral law and being free from guilt or sin. Hold on to that for a minute. This breastplate of righteousness, from our perspective as Christians, is being right with God, following his laws and his principles, and as a result, not living a life of guilt. We'll get back to that in a minute. The spiritual significance in this breastplate and in this piece of armor probably makes more sense when we realize that people in Paul's day believed that the heart represented the will and the mind of a person. Proverbs 4.23 tells us that above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The New Living Translation says, for it determines the course of your life. So it's clear that we are to guard our hearts and our minds and our will more than anything else because it, what is in that innermost part of our minds is what will determine our decisions, the directions of our lives, and our future. Is it any wonder then that this part of the army, this part of, of the armor, this part of our lives is what Satan would aim his darts at? Because what is in here? What considered our, our innermost being, our, our heart, our mind, 
determines our direction in life. And so Satan naturally would try to attack that part of our lives. If his darts manage to pierce the heart or the inner part of our being, our mind and our will, then that is exactly what he wants. We still use similar terminology regarding the heart, and we still use it much in the same way that Paul did in in the first century. We say things like, I love you with all my heart. We say, "I, I feel it in my heart. When we actually mean that I have strong feelings about something, something that comes from way down inside of me, something that often directs our decisions and often even the direction of our life because it comes from our heart down deep inside of us. While the the people in Paul's day believed that the heart represented the will and the mind of a person, they also believed that the bowels, what we today would call our gut or internal organs, represented the seat of emotions or feelings. So let's take a look at this. Why does that matter? If the heart, again, we're protecting this area right here. If the heart represented the will and the mind, and the bowels or the gut represented the seat of emotion or feelings, what better place would it be for the devil to attack us? And stay with me here because this is how it all ties together for us as Christians. Just as the breastplate of the ancient Roman soldier would protect his heart and internal organs, the spiritual version of this breastplate that Paul is writing about here is designed for the very same thing. The breastplate of righteousness is designed to protect our mind and our emotions from Satan's attacks. And this is important because this is two areas of life where Satan most often attacks us as followers of Christ, in our mind and our emotions. You might want to think about that for a minute, but that's really where he starts. He starts in our mind and he starts in our emotions. He is a master of deceit, and he will try to fill our minds with false beliefs and false emotions. Well, I don't just, I don't see why that's just such a big deal. Okay, fair enough for now. But here's what we need to realize. Everything we do, every action, every word we speak initiates or begins in our mind, and many times it's motivated by our emotions. Let me say that again. Every action, every word we speak initiates or begins in our mind And many times it is motivated by our emotions. Look at it this way. We we hit our finger with a hammer. And we hurt. And our mind processes that pain and we react. And the reaction might be verbal. Probably for everyone here today, the words that would come from our mouths is, oh, wowzers, did that ever hurt? Gee, willikers. And then our next action might be to go back to hammering. Or for some, it might be in trying to find the hammer you just threw. (laughs) So with that example in mind, thinking back to what we're talking about, we can see that our mind and our emotions very often control our words and our actions. And that's why we need to put a guard over our heart, meaning our mind and our emotions, above all else. And Paul says here in Ephesians 6.14 that righteousness is that guard. This, This breastplate that we wear in this battle is a breastplate of righteousness. 
And if you're thinking, yeah, but I'm strong, what's Satan going to do to me? Let me be clear, make sure we understand. On our own, we cannot possibly defeat the devil. You can't do it. He is more powerful and has several thousand more years of experience than we do. I love the message translation of this passage in Ephesians 6.14. It says, be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Amen? So let's look at some of the devil's tactics. He will use the world around us to tempt us to think wrong thoughts and as a result, follow wrong emotions. Because when our thinking's messed up, usually our emotions follow. Remember that hammer. Satan will use confusion to warp our thinking and feelings, to cause us to love the wrong things, to follow after the wrong priorities. He will place things in front of us in an attempt to sway us to have the wrong goals in life, dedicate our st- ourselves to the wrong loyalties, and commit ourselves to the wrong issues. Happens to Christians all the time, folks. Again, we are not exempt. Paul was not writing to people who were unsaved. Paul was writing this to people at a church in Ephesus, people who were saved. And that's why it's so important to us to not say, well, this is for somebody else. No, this is for us. No matter how on fire you are, no matter how full of the Holy Ghost you are, this devil will still attack you. Second Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old, the old has gone, and, and the new has come. And I know we say this a lot, and that, I use that scripture in all different versions so many times, but I think if there was a verse that I want us to grasp hold of, that would be one of them. Because it is that important that we are a new creation. Satan will work to reverse this process and try to get us to go back to being the person we once were, go back to our old way of thinking, our old way of doing things. He wants to strip the truth from our minds and then fill it with his own twisted lies and ideas. He wants us to to stop us from living holy and godly lives. So he does the best he can do to lure us toward envy, and hatred, and greed, and jealousy, and immorality, and any other human vice that he can place in front of us. And he knows which ones work for you. You go, well, I don't know about that. Has anybody here, don't raise your hand, just in case. Has anybody here been tempted to rob a 7-Eleven this week? See? Because, okay, there's one. Thank you for your honesty. He knows what works for us. If he tempted me to rob a 7-Eleven, I'd go, that ain't happening, Bob. Nah. But there's other things. There's other things that he knows works. And so he'll dangle those things out there. And he'll put those things out there in front of us to try to distract us, to try to change our minds, to try to change our emotions and affect what, is, what happens when our minds change and our emotions change. It changes our actions. 
Satan wants us to make light of our sins and not look at our sins as that the fact that we are committing things against God himself. He tries to get us to rank sins from big to little when he knows that sin is sin. And when that happens, we'll say, eh, I know that was technically a sin. There's no technically a sin. But I, I know that was technically a sin. But what I did isn't that bad. And I, I mean, I see people doing a whole lot worse. Sin is sin. And the devil will attack your mind and try to make you believe that since your sin isn't as bad as someone else, then it must, must be okay to do your sin. When the truth is, sin is sin. But that's how he affects our emotions. Where does he start? It starts in our heart, in our mind, in our innermost being. So then once we have sinned, if he can get us to sin, he doesn't want us to confess that sin. He doesn't want us to deal with it in God's way. He wants to get us to desensitize it so that we come to look and accept that sin as a way of life. Of saying, well, you know, I've done it this many times, I've done it this long, so, I, you know, I just, I'm just going to keep doing it. You go, that's ridiculous. Sure, it's ridiculous, but it's the way the devil works. We've just been doing it so long, we'll just keep doing it. Satan wants us to rationalize our sin and not seek the Lord for forgiveness. Because any sin, we can come to him, come to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I, I've sinned. I'm repenting. I'm asking for forgiveness. And there is grace and there is mercy to cover that sin. And then once we get to a place where our sin no longer bothers us and we have accepted or rationalized that sin, we feel like we have no reason to ask for forgiveness. And at that point, we have fallen into Satan's trap. And how did he do it? His plan of attack all along was to attack us in our heart or mind and in our gut or emotions. In other words, he attacks us in the way we think and the way we feel. If he can get us to think about things the wrong way and follow feelings that are not pleasing to the Lord, he can defeat us and drag us down spiritually or make us fall. Remember, the heart, what we're protecting is our will and our mind, and the bowels or the gut is the seat of our emotions and feelings. Satan knows he can get us out of the fight by changing how we think and feel but that breastplate of righteousness. What Paul wrote about here in Ephesians chapter 6 offers protection against these attacks. It protects our heart. It protects our mind. It protects, us, our, our, protects our gut or our emotions. And when this armor is in place, Satan will not be able to attack us in those areas. And once we fully grasp that, then we can start to see why this breastplate of righteousness is so important in a spiritual battle. Let me throw this in here. We saw earlier that, that righteousness was, was following God's law and his principles, and as a result, not having a life of guilt. Guilt is one of Satan's special weapons. And follow me here. If the devil can attack your mind, and get you to do things that go against the word of God, sin, he is happy 
That's his job. And then if he can get you to justify your sin, he is overjoyed. But then often we realize that we've sinned and we realize that there is forgiveness. We realize that there is grace, there is mercy, and that if we come to God in in sincere, humble repentance, that he will forgive us. So we repent, God shows us grace, he shows us mercy, and then we think everything is good and the devil's done, he's gone. Not so fast there, Skippy. Satan still has the guilt card to play. We sinned, we realized we sinned, we realized there was forgiveness, we asked for forgiveness, and we've been forgiven. And at that point, we should rejoice and move on. But then Satan plays the guilt card, and he will say to you, God didn't forgive you. Think about what you did. There is no way he forgave you or ever will forgive you. What you did was unforgivable. You might as well stop pretending. You're a sinner, and once a sinner, always a sinner. Go back to your old life. It's too late for you anyway. I'm speaking to somebody today. And let me say this about that. First of all, Satan is a liar. And then there's John 8, 44 that says this about the devil. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And Psalm 103.12 says this about your sin. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. So Satan is a liar. Stop listening to him. You don't have to live in guilt. If God has forgiven you, you are forgiven. And if you have been forgiven, your sins are gone. And the devil is still a liar. So move on and put on the shield of righteousness that will deflect those attacks of guilt on your mind and your emotions. Let's look for a minute at righteousness that Paul's writing about here. But before we look at what it is, I want to look at what it isn't. First of all, it isn't self-righteousness. We know this is true because self-righteousness isn't even righteousness at all. Self-righteousness is one of the most dangerous sins imaginable because a self-righteous person believes that their character or legalistic behavior earns them favor with the Lord. If the devil can convince us that we can attain salvation on our own, he has already defeated us because as long as we believe that, we'll never turn to the one true source of salvation, and that's Jesus Christ. If we think we can go out and do good works or we can give enough to to this charity or give enough to the church or do these things and we will be saved, then he's already won. Because as long as we think we can do it on our own, why would we turn to Jesus Christ? The self-righteous person believes that it is up to them to do enough works to please God. 
and that by their works, they earn their reward. So they focus on righteousness, but not the kind of righteousness we receive from God and God alone. Instead, it's the kind of righteousness that Jesus spoke out against so many times, self-righteousness. The self-righteous person very often comes to believe they are better than others. That's because they feel they possess a standard of living that is higher than those around them. The self-righteous person doesn't live to please the Lord, but to meet a standard of righteousness that they have created in their own mind. They believe that if they can stop sinning enough, or they can avoid enough evil, or they can do enough good, then God will be pleased with them and reward them accordingly. It's exactly what the Pharisees did in Jesus' day. It's nothing new. And we know how Jesus felt about the Pharisees. What we need to realize is that self-righteousness provides the enemy with a powerful weapon that he uses quite well. He uses self-righteousness to strangle the life out of our service for the Lord. And when that happens, we lose our joy. Self-righteous people are judgmental because to them, everyone else always fails to live up to their standard, the one that they created on their own. Standards that know nothing of love, know nothing of forgiveness, nothing of mercy, and nothing of grace. The self-righteous person cannot grasp the truth that their righteousness, however much they work up or accumulate, is according to Isaiah 64.4, it is nothing more than filthy rags. That's the best we can do on our own, folks. Filthy rags rags. So we see the breastplate of righteousness is not self-righteousness, but let's look what it is. I believe Paul makes it clear in his writings that the righteousness we as Christians experience is a righteousness that is given to us free of charge without effort on our part. The only way we become righteous is through Jesus Christ, through what he did on Calvary for us in our place. And this is the kind of righteousness that Paul was writing about. It is the very foundation of Christian life. It is the kind of righteousness that we are to wear as a breastplate. And it will protect our minds. It will protect our our innermost feelings, our emotions. That's the righteousness of God. Paul wrote a lot about this kind of thing. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 12, he points out a difference between human righteousness, self-righteousness, and the kind of righteousness found in the breastplate of righteousness. In the first several verses of, of this passage of Scripture, Paul points to a lot of things that he had accomplished on his own. For example, self-righteousness. But then in verse 8, Now, keep in mind, he's listed all of these things that he has done on his own in the first few verses. But when it comes, he comes to the conclusion that they were all rubbish. In fact, look at verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So all of his things that everybody else would have looked at and said, wow, you must be something. Wow, aren't you special? Paul said none of that stuff matters. 
The only thing that matters is the kind of righteousness that is found in him. Paul was saying that salvation is not based on anything we've done on our own, but on what we have been given in Jesus. When we are saved and brought into a new life in Jesus, the righteousness that was credited to us through what Christ did on Calvary is lived out in the form of true and practical righteousness. And as a result, it turns into a life that is lived in obedience to the Lord. God wants us to live holy lives. Not lives spent walking in sin or seeing how close we can walk to sin without actually sinning. You know, that, that whole line of, of here's sin and here's righteousness. And there's a lot of folks, church folks, they really want to get as close. Well, I'm not quite there. Nope, still on. I'm on the line. Watch, you're watching now, God. Why would you want to live that close to sin? If we really want to live a life of righteousness, if the line's here, then we want to live our life over here. And I will tell you that if we have on the breastplate of righteousness, we won't walk the line. Because when you try to walk this line, there's always a good chance you're going to do this. Oh, I would never do Yeah, you will. If you try to stand on this line too long, eventually you're going to cross over here. So once again, why would we walk so close to the line? Put on the breastplate of righteousness and stand over here. As we submit ourselves to the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit, sin will no longer have dominion over us. But on the other hand, a believer who takes sin lightly and plays around on that line will find that lacking the breastplate of righteousness will result in some devastating consequences. But true righteousness, the kind of righteousness we receive through Jesus Christ, gives us the boldness and gives us access to the very presence of God. And then the Holy Spirit gives us the power to change our lives and to get as far away from sin as we possibly can. Can you imagine if everyone who called themselves a born-again Christian would stay as far away from this line as they possibly could, and tried to live a life of godly righteousness, true righteousness, as far away from sin as they possibly could. Imagine the power that we would have individually, and imagine the power that we would have as a church. Here's one thing for sure. If we step over in here, the devil is going to use that against us. Yes, there's forgiveness. Yes, there is, there is repentance. But when we step back over here, he's still going to try to hold guilt over our head. Stay away from it. Lacking the breastplate of righteousness will rob us of some things. One of those things is spiritual joy. A lot of relationships... Emotional problems that we have in life are, are not necessarily the fault of other people. Instead, many times they're a direct result of unconfessed or unforsaken sin in our own lives. 
Many of the doubts and fears and griefs we carry around with us are not related to what others do or don't do. They're often related to failure in our own lives to live holy and clean lives before the Lord. When Satan finds a flaw in our armor, whatever it might be, wherever it might be, be assured that he will exploit it to its fullest. And when he does that, our joy, our peace, our, our, our sense of spiritual well-being are usually the first casualties. Watch this. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he had her husband killed, and then he covered it up with a whole bunch of lies, he lost his joy in the process. And here's why I say that. In Psalm 51, we see that David asked God to have mercy on him. And then in verses 10 through 12, he asked God, he says to God, create in me a pure heart. And then in verse 12, he says, and restore to me the joy of your salvation. What had sin done? It had taken away his joy. Don't let sin take away your joy. Something else that not having the breastplate of righteousness will rob us of is spiritual fruit. If we are living a life that is disobedient to the word of God, that means that we're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness. We won't be standing over here if we're wearing the breastplate of righteousness. In order to get over there, it means we've taken it off, however you take it off, slip it over your head and lay it on the ground, and then we step over here. Because it will guard our heart, it will guard our emotions, it will guard our innermost being, and we won't come over here. And if we're living a life that is disobedient to the will of God and the Word of God, it will separate us from Him and if that is the case, we will be unfruitful in our work for the Lord. John 15, verses 4 through 6, gives us a recipe for fruitfulness. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him... He will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. We cannot live a fruitful, overcoming, and righteous life if we are separated from God. Not having on the breastplate of righteousness will also rob us of our spiritual rewards. What do you mean by that? Stay with me here. Without holiness and righteousness to the righteous obedience to the word of God, there is nothing we can do on our own that will be pleasing to the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. Without holiness and righteousness, righteous obedience to the word of God, there is also nothing we can do that will be blessed. And as a result, we will not receive the spiritual rewards that are promised to those who are righteous. 
Not having on the breastplate of righteousness or saying we are saved, but then living a life that's not in obedience to the word of God. Also dishonors God. It brings reproach on his name. And we like to think that our sin doesn't hurt anybody else, but that's just not true. It doesn't just hurt us. Our sin also hinders the spread of the gospel because it tells the world that's looking on that we're no different from them. If we claim to be followers of Christ, if we claim to be born-again Christians, and then we talk about it all the time, and then we go out and live just like the rest of the world, then basically we're telling the rest of the world, I haven't been changed. I have not been made into a new creation. I'm just like you. So in effect, it makes the good news of Jesus, the gospel, look useless and powerless to everyone who's watching our lives. And be assured, if you're a Christian, there is someone somewhere who's watching you. And it could be for a number of reasons. They, they might be watching you to see if what you have is real because they're searching for something, which is a good thing. Or in some cases, they're watching just so they can see if you fall, so they can say, see, you're no different than me. But either way, be assured, there's people that are watching your life. It's not just that, though. When, when we sin, we have taken off the breastplate of righteousness, and when we do that, we have opened the door for Satan to attack us and hinder our effectiveness for the Lord. And that is why we must take up and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Because when we do, our thought life and our emotional life are protected from the attacks of the enemy. And where does all this start? Where does all of our action start? It thoughts in in our thought life, and our emotions. Trying to live a life without the breastplate of righteousness will result in a life lived outside of obedience to the Word of God. And as a result, we will not, we cannot receive a spiritual reward. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5 says this. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Again, where does it go back to? Our mind, our emotions. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When we have on the breastplate of righteousness, our minds and our emotions are protected. And that means our thoughts will be in line with the things of God. And as a result, we will be better able to live lives that are clean and pure, lives that will bring glory to the Lord. When we get to the place where we live out practical righteousness day by day, the devil will find that his temptations just don't have the same effect on us. The belt of truth 
The breastplate of righteousness are essential pieces of the whole armor of God. And when they are in place, we are on our way to becoming a believer who, when the day of evil comes, we will be able to stand. And I'll close with this. The breastplate of righteousness is available to all of us. God gives us this and the other parts of the armor of God so that we as Christians have the power to resist evil and corruption in today's world. And there's a whole bunch of it out there, folks. We need to be bold in asking for God's help, his protection, and his provision. As believers, we need to pray and intercede for ourselves and on behalf of others. Not just a now I lay me down to sleep prayer. Not just a thank you, Lord, for this food prayer. I'm talking about intercessory prayer where we fall on our face before God. And we pray. As they used to say, pray until you pray. Until you pray, until you feel it down inside that you have touched the throne room of God. Sometimes it might take a while to get there. I've come out to church before, and you'd think you could just enter into the presence of God just walking in the door, but sometimes because of all the stuff that's around you, I have sat right here on this altar in the floor and felt like my prayers didn't even make it to the ceiling. And then I'd get up and I'd start walking around changing my focus, changing the way that I was thinking and concentrating on God and his goodness to me and the promises that I read in the word of God. And when I start changing, then I start praying the way that we need to pray. Those are effective prayers. We need to be willing to take off all the layers of, of worldly baggage and replace them with the good things of God. We need to put on the full armor of God and in doing so, put on the breastplate of righteousness because it is the piece of armor that will keep our minds and our emotions pure. As we have heard before in this series, and without a doubt, we will hear again, Putting on the whole armor of God requires a decision on our part. And when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, in order for it to be effective, we must also have on the belt of truth firmly in place. Remember we talked last week with that belt, that the breastplate actually attached to the belt to hold it in place. Because without truth, our righteousness will be based on our own attempts to impress God. And that leads to nothing, nothing more than legalism and self-righteousness. We must acknowledge that apart from Christ, we can do nothing on our own. But when we see ourselves in Christ, when we see ourselves as that new creation, as Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians, then regardless of our past failures, 
we can know for sure that his righteousness has been credited to our account. So we put on his truth. We put on his righteousness. And we make a stand knowing that we are not fighting this battle on our own. We're fighting with the very weapons that God has provided to us. Would you stand this morning? We're going to sing in just a minute. But if you are here today and you have a need in your life, whatever it might be, we serve a God that is bigger than our problems. We serve a God that loves us. We are his children. He is our father. And he is more than able. And if you have a need today, would you come and someone will meet you here? And we will pray with you. We'll pray for you. If you've never made a start to live for the Lord, today's a good day. If you are not where you would like to be in your walk with the Lord, today's a good day to draw closer. If you just need to come and spend some time in prayer, why don't you do that today? Find a place around the front, around this altar, stand around here. If you just want to come and worship the Lord, one thing it does when you're up here, you're not distracted by anything back there. So as we sing this morning, would you come? Amen. I, I, before we sing, I would like if everyone would just come forward. You can sit on the front rows or whatever if you need to sit or if you need to just stay where you are, it's okay. But if everybody could just come forward and let's be together for a little bit. This message that he preached today, that's a message, y'all. We have the righteousness of Christ. And if we could just take a few minutes and just, just consider that and think about that and just, and just say, Lord, I, you know, if there's anything in me that shouldn't be, I repent right now. I'm, I'm going to turn my focus away from that, and I'm going to put my focus back on you. That's what repentance is, by the way. It's not just saying, forgive me. It's, it's Lord, I'm going to change my focus from that thing to you, and I'm going to go in this direction. The Bible talks about in, in the book of Revelations in one of the letters um, to the churches, Jesus said, you need to do your first works again. You kind of, you gotten cold. You need to do your first works again. If we're going to have revival, it starts in us. It starts in our soul, in our hearts. And so let's just take a few moments together as a church Say, Lord, help me to shift my focus on you and help me to receive your grace and your righteousness and let it just wash over me this morning and just fill me and, and, and cover me because my salvation is in you and you alone. And by faith, I receive your grace this morning. Let's just do that first work again. My change.